everybody, it's Gary Vaynerchuk uh, continuing the podcast series here at Cannes and, and one of the things I always say, like the main reason I go here is I get to have like a far more productive meeting agenda and I get to see people I want to see or people I've been wanting to see or people I need to see and so that will continue the theme here. This is somebody that I have admired for quite a long time and I think is pushing so many important conversations not only in the media landscape but just in the world as a whole. There's a lot of things uh, I want to talk about. We have one category um, that we uh, that I, I believe because I consume a lot of her content that we agree on. As many of you listening, you know I've been talking about my idea of starting an incubator in a retirement home or my deep needs as a kid to hang out with everybody's grandparents or some of the things we've been doing about hiring people uh, who've retired from the ad world to do copy for us at Vayner and so uh, I'm just extremely honored uh, to have Cindy Gallup on, uh, on the podcast. I'm gonna let her uh, introduce herself in a second but th- this is something I've been really, really looking forward to. I'm super happy we're having it. There's a lot of things I wanna talk about and most of all, what I'm probably most excited about is there's such a crossover with the content that I put out that really selfishly, I just want so many people who listen to my podcast who don't know uh, you or haven't heard some of the incredible things you speak about to allow them to be introduced to you. So this is a good day. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Thank you, well I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you, Cindy. So why don't you set up a little context? Why don't you tell uh, the Vayner Nation uh, a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, what, what you're about. I'll ask a couple more origin questions and then we'll get into a couple different subjects that are out there. Sure, so um, I'm Cindy Gallup. Uh, my background is over 30 years working in brand building, marketing and advertising. 16 of those, by the way, spent at the same agency, Bartle Vogel Hegarty, BBH, um, whom we adore. Yes. Um, These days, I work for myself, um, and by the way, I'm evangelical about the joys of working for yourself. I think (laughs) everybody should, ultimately. Um, So I work as a consultant and a public speaker, but I'm also an entrepreneur, and my focus is, is very much, first and foremost, on my sex tech startup, Make Love Not Porn. We are the world's first and only social sex user-generated, human-curated video sharing platform. We are what Facebook would be if Facebook allowed you to socially, sexually self-express, which it sadly doesn't. Yes. Um, We're socializing sex, making it easier to talk about, to promote good sexual values and good sexual behavior. We call ourselves the social sex revolution. The revolution part is not the sex, it's the social. Good for you. How long, now that's been like five, six, seven years now, Ooh, or is, yep. is, do I have that right? Because um, I remember yep. when that first kind of hit the scene. Um, yep, so, so I launched makelovenotporn.com in its original iteration. Right. Porn world versus real world. Right. Clunky site at 10 in 2009, <laughs> yes. 10 years ago. Yep. Wow. Got this extraordinary global reaction. Huge. Realized I'd uncovered a huge social issue. And how and, long were you hot on that prior to that talk? That was literally um, when I launched that little website. I mean, um, I'd had the idea. Yeah, how long? Um, you have you know, the, how was it long? Was it um, marinating? Um, uh, one or two years um, before that, when I realised through dating younger men, yes, that I was encountering what happens when today's total access to porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. Complete. When those two things converge, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. And so I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral memes in bed. I went, whoa, I don't know where that's coming from. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. Of course. I didn't know that because 11, 12 years ago, no one talked about this, nobody wrote about it. And so I went, want to do something about it. How much better off are we on? I mean, I feel like we have Mm. not moved the needle that much 
you know, like, as you know, you're so deep into this, this is actually my question. I think the two things that people completely and utterly do not talk about is money and sex. Um, so, a third thing, Please. Barry, death. That's a good one. I talk about death all the time. And, and by the way, I say that because years ago. No, it's ago, a good one. Years ago, I was at an event Please. and a woman came up to me and she said, You and I work in the same area. And I went, Oh, yeah. She was a hospice worker. Interesting. She said the two things no one wants to talk about are sex and death. And, and by the way, I therefore gave a talk um, four years ago now to the annual conference of the International Association of, uh, of Cemeteries, Crematoriums, and Funeral Directors yes. on the Future of Death. And the point I made was, just as I'm socializing sex to make love not porn, we need to socialize death, to make death easier to talk about. Before we get into a lot of things that I want to talk to you about in those genres and others, just, just for context, because I enjoy it, how did your ad world career start? Like, like were you always destined for that world? Uh, did you start your career in that? Like, oh. give me the, yeah, give me a little bit. Take me back yeah, to, sure, yeah, sure. I'm interested. Yeah. So I, um, I. Where'd you grow up? At, um, so I grew up in Brunei, in Borneo. Yep. Um, my father is English, my mother is Malaysian Chinese. Yes. Um, I was born in the UK when I was six and moved to Brunei. And so that's where my sisters and I grew up. Um, I studied English literature at Oxford University and I fell mad in love with theatre there. So Oxford has a thriving student drama scene. Yes. You know, I, I loved everything about it. And so when I left university, um, I decided all I'd do is work in theatre the rest of my life. And so I, and I Did you want to be in it or you wanted um, to be well, behind actually, the scenes? At, at Oxford I did everything. I wrote, acted, directed, stage managed. But I knew I wasn't good enough to be an actress or director. You were that self-aware? Oh, oh, oh my God, yeah. Because actually around you at Oxford even are people who are brilliant at acting and directing. Right. I was not one of those. Right. But I used to draw a lot when I was younger. And so I got sucked my friends into designing theatre posters for them. And from there I got sucked into helping sell their shows. Yes. And so I became a marketing officer in yes. theatre. Yes. And so I worked in several theatres in the UK for several years until I got completely fed up with working 24-7 and earning chicken feed. Yes. Which is what happens in theatre. Yes. And so... At, the at, romance yeah, was gone. The romance was totally gone. <laughs> yes. And at the time, I was the marketing officer at the Everman Theatre in Liverpool, and part of my job promoting the theatre was giving talks about it. So I gave a talk to a group of women in Liverpool, and afterwards, one of them came up to me and she said, young lady, you could sell a fridge to an Eskimo. And I went, that is the universe telling me something. Time to sell out the establishment, go into advertising. And so I did. And so, <laughs> so where did you go thing. first? Um, so, um, I and then, as what? Yeah, right, so um, I then um, found it really hard to get into advertising because this is, this is like the UK in the mid 80s. Mid 80s. Advertising was a really hot, sexy profession. Was it? You know, everyone ever wanted to work in advertising. And so I basically went right back to the beginning and I applied for graduate traineeships, entry level. And I got hired by Ted Bates, back in the days when Ted Bates actually existed. It, it doesn't any longer. Okay. So that was London in 1985, and so I, um, I was a, a trainee account exec. And so I came up the account management route. And how long did you mm. stay in that account? And so I was um, at Ted Bates for two years. Um, then I moved to J. Walter Thompson. I spent six months there because a very hot agency at the time, Gold Greenies Trot, GGT, Dave Trot's agency, called me and so I went over to them. I spent cool. two very happy years there. And then in 1989 I joined BBH and that was it for the next 16 years. That's incredible. It. And within BBH you, you entered as a what? Um, so, so I entered as an account director. And then? And got promoted quite quickly to a board account director, ran big global pieces of business out of BBH London. And then in 1996 I moved to Singapore mm. to help start and run BBH Asia Pacific. That's cool. And then in 1998, um, I went to New York to start up BBH New York, which began as me in a room with a phone, 
Is that Starting right? Starting an ad agency in the world's toughest advertising marketplace. And then the economy, not too long after that, started yep, to turn. Uh, yeah, yep. and actually, um, we were fortunate because- you were hot, it, it was hot in 98, yep, but then very yep. quickly. And, uh, there was a whole dot-com boom, and yes. I went, we are not having more than 25% of our revenue come from dot-com com. anything. You know, and so even we, though the we, money was pouring. You know, even though the money was pouring. And, and, and so we survived that and, in the and way that other for my own education, because I was doing mm. the wine stuff and very mm. outside of those mm. two worlds that I ended up mm. being in, were the, were the big historic creative shops and the, these new upstart mm. Silicon Valley players, they were meshing, the silico- those, all those oh. upstarts were hiring the establishment? Oh, they were actually, across yeah. the whole makes range of us. Um, yeah, but although I have to say Please. that there were some serious culture clashes. Yeah, that would uh, make sense, right? We, we can imagine. Yes, can imagine, that's why you know. I was asking. Yeah, yeah but, uh, and so, um, you know, to, um, w- uh, without naming names, never, yep. s- never speaking of the dead. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, um, th- it was a lively old ride with, yes. with some of those dark uh, you, you know, just yeah. because we have a lot of operators and uh, only with three years, even with the big BBH mm. brand, I'm sure the office wasn't humongous when oh the God, economy. No, 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 no it, was t- it was tiny. It was and when tiny. the economy went, yeah. how did you? Were, did you stay in New York through 2001, two, three, oh, four? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, no, so how did you uh, navigate yeah. those tough well, waters? Right. First of all, by the way, um, Gary, we were very motivated too because um, our client was Cantor Fitzgerald, oh. who, who in in early 2001, I know. So I, know. I don't know if you know this. I'm sorry to interrupt because yeah. no, 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 I've been doing yeah. a fairly good job. I'm proud of mm. myself. <laughs> My wine business was just starting to take off. I was with mm. early e-commerce, and a story I've almost never shared, but I'm just gonna jump in and share with you. Cantor Fitzgerald's office in the World Trade Center was probably my biggest consumer base of wine library. I had to actually go in by hand, because back then mm. the way we managed email mm, was very right, different, right. Yep. and take out all mm. of those email addresses, because mm. it was, the only time I remember actually crying at a computer screen because I was literally taking names out of a database and not one of them were alive anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, t- uh, so Howard Lucknick and Cantor Fitzgerald hired us in January 2001, their first ever ad agency hire, um, to basically build a launch um, campaign for their electronic trading platform eSpeed. I remember. Um, we were due to launch that campaign on September 17th. Can we I had out? booked every single billboard in the World Trade Center. And, and we lost a lot of our clients. Um, we helped our client in ways we never anticipated helping. The whole agency you know, went around hospitals, trying, helping them track their employees. Um, and we ended up doing a very different kind of campaign because Cantor's rivals, you know, Wall Street has no heart, um, you know, jumped on the fact that you know, they were gone. And so we actually shot a campaign with the amazing documentary filmmaker Errol Morris, mm. which um, was focused on the survivors talking about how they felt motivated to rebuild the business to support the families because you may remember that Howard committed um, you know to, um, a percentage of um, their profits to, well, to people, support the well, survivors. What people may not know is the C- Howard was the founder or the CEO? Um, to, um, to, um, he was the CEO. Happened to have his child's first day at kindergarten that day and took the child to kindergarten and that's why he wasn't in mm. the office. So um, it's, yeah, a, it's he, like... Um, he lost his brother. Yes, I'm aware. It was a yeah. really... Understood. Yeah. So you so, navigated um, so, those waters um, during yeah, I mean, to, uh, I mean, to, the economic to be fair, crisis, you know, the crisis. With, with our client, we, we were absolutely determined. And, and yeah, we, we made it through. We made it through. And, and so that was an incredible run for you, huh? 16 years. Yep. And then what? Yep. Well, so in 2005, I okay. turned 45. Okay. Had my very own personal midlife crisis. Good. In the sense that I'd always thought of 45 as a midlife point. Okay. Now, obviously, in the happy assumption one lives to be 90, fingers yep. crossed. You I'm know. into it. But in the couple of years running up to my 45th birthday, I'd gone, okay, that's when you pause, 
you stop, you know, take stock, reflect, review, wherever I mean, where am I going? So February 1, 2005. Do you talk to yourself a lot? I do actually, yeah. I do too. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, no, So no, you're no, just, no. right, you're yeah. on a plane, you're yeah. walking down the yeah. street, you're just having these, yeah. co- this is an ongoing conversation. Yeah. It's not like you yeah. set it up. Yeah, yeah no, 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 absolutely. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Go ahead. So on my 45th birthday, you know, I reflected and reviewed, and that was the point at which I went, oh my God, I've just worked 16 years for the same advertising agency. Now, as I said, love them to death, cannot say enough nice things about them. Makes me happy. But I went, I think it's time to do something different. It's an incredible run. And, and then the problem was, I hadn't the faintest idea what. Dunked it after, so, after 16 days with me, so right. 16 years <laughs> is incredible. So vast amounts of thought and angsting ensued, and eventually I went, if I want to review every possible option open to me, for what is effectively the second half of my life, yes. maybe the best thing to do is to put myself on the market, very public and go, okay guys, here I am, what do you got? See what comes. So I took a massive leap into the unknown. I resigned as chairman of BBH New York in the summer of 2005 without a job to go to and it was the best Was everybody shocked? It was in left field? Oh oh my God, yeah, Yeah. everyone was totally shocked. I mean, you know, BBH blood ran in my veins, basically. But, but honestly, it was the best thing I ever did. What did you do first? Did you take some time? Um, to, um, no, I mean, I, I was very lucky because loads of things came to me that I would never have thought of myself. And I went, okay, I still don't know what I want to do. I'm going to be an employment slut. I'm going to talk to everybody. I'm going to take every phone call, do every meeting, no preconceived notions. And so I'm bought in this fascinating exploratory, which was as good for telling me what I didn't want to do as what I did want to do. Yeah, you gained enormous because, amounts of context. Um, yeah, and, and I would come out from a meeting or interview and I'd go, okay, so now I know, in 15 years, no one knew that. <laughs> yeah. And, and so coming out of that, you know, I, I mean, I began working for myself, you know, as a consultant, began speaking, and my startups kind of happened accidentally, and um, I ended up with the life I have now, which I am enormously happy doing. That makes me happy. Let's talk about speaking, because it's something By we both means. like. Yep, absolutely. I think you're incredibly great at it, Thank and you. I don't think there's that many people great at it. Do you love it? Like, how, uh, how do you prep for it? How do you think about the things you talk about? How much do you contextualize the room? Talk to me through Cindy's kind of five to seven bullets on her speaking career from your perspective. Okay, well, what I will say, by the way, for your audience listening to this, okay, here's the Sydney Gallup one-minute guide to being a great public speaker. Go. Okay? Yeah. Because um, too many people get really fraught about, oh, my God, I have to give a talk. Right. And then they make the mistake um, of going, right, so now I have to write a presentation. Okay, bad idea. You are the talk, not your slides. Okay, so what I say to people is, first of all, whatever you're asked to speak on, Decide what you want to speak on, really, okay? Because you can take any talk title, instead of making it go, oh my God, oh my God, you can go, now, okay, I've been asked to speak about this. What angle would I love to come at, um, at this from, that I feel really good about, okay? It's like a brand positioning. Once you establish the sentence, you can come at it from a million different angles. But actually, even more importantly, Gary, is because, um, make it therefore something that you really care about and you enjoy speaking about. Because when you do that, Think about the fact that you very often sit with friends in a bar or across a dinner table and you have this conversation with them. 100%. You know, when it's something you feel strongly about, you've had that conversation with friends, you know, with dates, whatever. So I go, then back your talk into the things you feel passionate about and love speaking about. Because then your nerves go away because it's stuff that you're very familiar saying, you know, you know it by heart already. And, and, and then just have enough slides to kind of make key points. And that's it. Done. It's funny you say that. One of the things that I talk a lot about, and you know, Dunk was on my team, DRock knows this, I stay in such a narrow lane of either things that I'm passionate about or things that I actually know about. I have watched a lot of my friends and contemporaries mm. give presentations 
on subject matter they don't know, which is why mm. they're at the mercy yep, of yep, the slide. Yep, no, right? no, and also they feel nervous and inconfident and... They don't you know, know the yep, subject matter. Yep, the reason yep. I've gone with a very heavy Q&A format, or as much as I can, is it allows me to build a bigger connection mm. with the audience. One, I'm giving them what they actually want, mm. and two, it allows me to flex my muscle mm. around my expertise and the things mm. that I actually know mm. what I'm talking about. But, but also, Please. quite frankly, um, to your listeners, you can take anything you're asked to talk on, and you can you can give a talk that is what you really want to talk on. What you're saying, title. what you're saying is control it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Right. I'm listening. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I've literally yeah. walked out to some talks mm. where I see the slide what they said I was supposed to talk yeah. about, and I just give a talk. <laughs> I've literally just given yeah. a completely different yeah. talk. Yeah. They're like, it's like influencer yeah. marketing, and I'm like talking yeah. about like podcasts. Yeah. Like, so, I one of my favorite things about you is in my little world and my audience, I, uh, I often talk about being a shield to give them courage. I'm very proud that for, especially for a lot of immigrant kids or a lot of people like, I'm, give, I'm, I'm giving them permission. Uh, I'm creating, I'm so comfortable with judgment against me that I'm giving them room to try something and if it fails they can say, well Gar- you know, I wanna take the blame for them to give them the step. My observation from the far is you do that for a lot of people. And I think that is an incredible gift to give. When I say that, when I frame that up, does that make sense to you? Do you understand what oh, I'm yeah, saying? No, no, absolutely. Tell me because, how you observe um, that. Because, um, Gary, I always say that the single best moment of my life, and by the way, this wasn't a single moment, it was a gradual realization. But the best moment of my life was the day that I realized I no longer give a damn what anybody thinks. Go figure. And that is the only way to live your life. And Preach. I especially communicate that message to women. Because from the moment we're born as women, Everything around us conspires to make us feel insecure about absolutely everything to do with ourselves. Yeah, the infrastructure. The way we look, the way we talk, the way we dress, the, you know, nice girls do this, nice girls don't do that. Women spend the rest of our lives coming back from that and some of us never do. Yep. And so I want to shortcut that process for every woman, but also to your point, for everybody who is worried about what other people think because honestly... Which is, which is everybody. Yeah, which is everybody, but don't and be. Sydney, because that's the worst way Sydney, to be. I think I also observe this again because we don't know each other that well. I observe this from you as well, which I really appreciate. And at times when people have been at a dinner table, your name gets brought up, you know, this is what happens to me too. And I go, be careful. I'm like, if you watch her interact, and I'm proud of this as well, one thing that's amazing that I think you do extremely well is not giving a fuck what anybody thinks does not mean you do not hear other people. Oh, no, 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 no. But it's no, an no, important clarity. Yeah. No, no, you're, like, I, you like know, this no, is not um, audacity. Um, no, 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 you're right. I mean, don't give a damn what other people think in a good way. You know, That's right. I, live your life and work your work according to your values I and what you believe in. You do a really good job of bringing awareness to things to put pressure or to bring conversation and I have watched you bring awareness to something, hey, this is not accept, tweet, I don't like this or what's our take on this or whatever mm. it may be. I've watched people that are on the receiving end of that, 99% of the time not answer. Of the left, of the left 1%, 0.9% of defend with bullshit. Yeah. But occasionally, I've seen, in that 0.1% remaining, somebody giving clarity, mm. context, mm. and you were extremely quick to also hear it. Mm. And this is not you rallying, a, people are rallying a mob, it pisses mm-hmm. me off. Mm-hmm. I've watched you mm. mold, and I do the same thing. Like Sometimes people say something to me, a friend of mine, Ted, the other day said, hey, I don't like your definition of an entrepreneur. By nature, you're not one. I watched the video, and I'm like, he's right. I worked for my dad, and this definition of never working for anybody, is not a good definition. I need to clarify it. I'm a little worried about like, you know, I'm trying to protect over entrepreneurship. So mm-hmm. in that, I, you know, I can get excited sometimes and you're throwing out headlines. And, I, and it was an incredible back and forth where, and I've seen that from you and that 
for me is why I so desperately wanted you here today. It's well, why for me I adamantly um, support a lot of what you do. Um, talk about that. Like not giving a fuck but actually having the capacity to mm. hear when somebody has a counterpoint that may penetrate your mm. psyche as you're going through the conversation. Well, well I, I think, you know, all I'd say to that, Gary, is that when you actually don't care what other people think, that frees you up to just hear people for real yeah, as opposed to worrying all the time That's about right. what other people think and therefore having that lens obscure the truth of something that you should be looking at differently. Ageism. You know, you know, there's been so much conversation and slower but some progress on a lot of uh, segments, females, minorities, a ton. Something that I've been, you can see a lot of content on, talking more and more about over the last three or four years has been, you know, hmm, in the rise of technology, in the rise of these 23-year-old billionaires, We've gotten into a place where out of all, I mean, we are being, we are doing a very nice collective human job of having a lot of conversations around a lot of sectors, but we are not around 55 to nine, whatever you want to put the number on. You know, we, we put out a lot of content for that demo. I've noticed that you're beating that drum. Uh, I'd like to give you the floor. Um, sure. I mean, so first of all, I am 59. Okay. I shout that from the rooftops. Yep. I tell people how old I am as often as possible. Because you look so because great and you want to brag? No, or? Uh, no, no, not I'm at all. I'm kidding. No, because I consider myself a proudly visible member of the most invisible segment of our society, which is older women. Couldn't agree I more. I want to help demonstrate by the way I live my life. Uh, I want to challenge what society thinks an older woman should look like, talk like, dress like, work like, date like. And I've been campaigning against ageism for years. Um, And and this is a really important fact, um, Gary. For the same reason that I campaign about every aspect of diversity, I am a hard-headed, pragmatic businesswoman. Yes. And I am horrified at the amount of money that brands and businesses are leaving on the table when we manage older talent out of the industry. Couldn't agree more. And and, and also, by the way, let me define older talent for you. Because um, I would encourage, if you haven't, um, are you on Fishbowl, the app at all? Of course, of course. Okay, so I would encourage your listeners who aren't, go on Fishbowl, go to the advertising bowl. There is a thread going on at the moment, a very engaged and very long one, where a senior copywriter asked, "Um, do you feel you've been managed out of the industry, and if so, what age did it happen? I am horrified by this thread because the answers to that question, at what age were you managed out of the industry, are 34, 36, 39, 40, 42, and that whole thread um, should be read. Okay. And, and, and the point about that is older people, or as I like to call us, experts, are the key to growth and profitability and exponentially more money. Or uh, a substantial piece of the equation. Uh, no, 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 absolutely. Right? Because, um, because what you're talking about is, you know, I mean, as a leader, how much do you want your employees to, for a start, never be phased by any business crisis or situation, but know exactly what to do when anything comes along? Experience because they've matters. been there 50 million times before. But you um, would, listen, real yeah, quick, but I would push, mm, not back, but like to mm, add context, I'd love to get your perspective on this. Yeah. So 
I, could, I often say the 43, I, at 25 I thought I was gonna be unstoppable and nobody mm. could beat me and I was mm. great already and the 43 year old me laughs at that kid. Mm. So experience what? matters. But there yeah. is a little yeah. bit of a DNA trait. I mean I have 55 year old yeah. executives that fold like a cheap chair because that's no, just in no, their DNA. Oh, no, 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 and, 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 the ideal, and, and by the way, the, the other benefits are you know, people management skills, something our industry does not specifically train for, you only hone those over years and years and years craft skills. You're going to hear a lot of talk at Cannes this week about, ooh, you know, technical perfection, crafts, you know, you hone those over decades in our industry. And the point about all of that is that older people are unbelievably time and cost efficient. When you do everything quicker because of that. Now, now, what I recommend though, what I want to see is cross-generational working. Because the irony of the traditional corporate structure is that it's predicated on the idea that, you know, the higher up you progress, the older you get. And so what we do not have is the 55-year-old and 25-year-old working together as equal partners on the same level. Couldn't agree more. And that is the future. The industry needs more 32-year-old most senior executives and more 54-year-old executors in the trenches. It goes and, both and, ways. And, uh, yeah, but and, and, and mixed and, all and, over, and 100%. Possible yeah. I couldn't agree you know, more. I mean, that's the future. And, and that's an incredibly productive future that nobody's making happen. And I want to see that happen. Cindy, I think the other thing that you and I, when I, when I, get the luxury of consuming something you say or it gets shared or I read it. Something I just fucking adore that you say, and I've heard it more under the context of women, but you know, as you were talking about the, you know, the ageism I was thinking about this, is fuck trying to get them to accept us. Let's build our own fucking shit, period, end of story. This is, you know, listen, mm. I already kind of you know, have all these feelings about you from afar. Then you go and say, I can't push more on people doing their own thing, which as you can imagine, only and always being an entrepreneur, I believe in that. Though we are in the era of fake entrepreneurship, everybody oh, wants yes. to be yep. one yep. and they should yep. be executives. Self-awareness is mm. what my passion is to get out there, but I fucking, like, when, you know, as I kept, as your name kept populating, as I got into this world and you know, I'm like, that's, out of all the fucking shit that this woman is saying, boy, do I hope they hear her on Mm. that. Fuck pandering to the establishment Mm. that's dying. Start Mm. your own shit, like own your Mm. own destiny. How's that message going? Mm. What are you seeing from that? Because I think that one I fucking Mm. really like attach Mm. to. Good, good, because I mean, first of all, I've been saying that for years, um, especially by the way, you know, this is where I take issue with Sheryl Sandberg and okay. Lean In. Sheryl wants us to lean in within the existing system, I want us to redesign the system. Couldn't agree more. But, but especially because I've been trying for a long time to try and change our industry and, and the business world generally from within, and, and I've given up. Change happens from the bottom up, not the top down. It's hard to boil and, the ocean. Yeah, um, no, exactly. And so I now say women, people of color, LGBTQ, disabled, older, everyone considered other. Um, invent our own future and by the way invent our own industry because we are seeing opportunities because of that innovative disruptive lens that comes from being on the outside being an outlier we, we are seeing opportunities that you do not see from within the old world order industry it's a story and, it's a story yeah, of my company yeah, I came and, from the wine retail business yeah and, and, and by the way it's the same thing to um, so uh, years ago I was here at Cannes um, doing a session on porn youth and brands the biggest social cultural influence that we don't talk about and um, in the Q&A session a young woman put her hand up and she said Cindy what is the single piece of advice you would give a young person going to advertising today? And I went, don't. And I said, um, let me explain what I mean by that. Don't go into advertising to go into advertising. 
Go into advertising to make what you want to happen, happen. So, come into advertising, come into our industry, take a long, hard look around you. Identify what you think is missing that should be there, what you could bring to the table that nobody else is, what you would have to love available to you that no one else is delivering, and then do that. And by the way, when you do that, in a few years' time, a holding company will buy it for a shit ton of money. Let's talk about that. I can't believe you just ended that sentence with that because that's where exactly where I wanted to go. If you, I don't share this a whole, whole lot, but I, you've encouraged me to because I'd just love to put this on your mind. If you asked me, like we ended this podcast and we're like, hey, that was nice and we were yapping a little on your way out. <coughs> and you said, mm. what are you up to? And I would, in our industry. Mm. Because I now enjoy being part of it in a lot of ways. I would tell you that secretly, my number one ambition with the whole <coughs> media thing mm. is to encourage the Sallys and the Ritas and the Jeromes and the Johnnies to build independent shops in perpetuity. Mm, absolutely. I if you more. ask somebody who's a true <coughs> outsider and has come in, mm. in, in entrepreneur land, where I came from, and small business land, there was far less of these issues because the merit mm. of being a pragmatic business person trumped <coughs> everything mm. else. And when I got here, a, a lot of the things that we're talking about are systematic, and it's because there's four or five financial arbitrage M&A banking machines that run the whole fucking oh, yes. thing. If you oh, yeah. want to break the fucking thing, <laughs> you break, my, by my big personality, I'm hoping that I'm gonna inspire a beating drum. Literally the number one thing that I yep. fear is putting myself in a precarious enough spot financially that I would ever have to succumb to making a transaction for my family's health and well-being, which I don't see happening. I'd rather shut the whole fucking thing down. I believe the inspiration, that young copywriter, she and her partner and a business, or just her, I don't, you know, more independent shops at scale. Can I ask you a question? Because mm. I'm very curious right now, actually. How, how, I mean, we're talking about the industry as this like thing, but that's how I want to position it. How are you received right now in this industry? I don't care. I understand that, but that doesn't mean you're not a, yeah. aware. Yeah. That I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually a little bit curious yeah. though, because yeah. I don't know, but now I've become unbelievably curious. Because you do, you're a little bit, you know, I came from left fucking field. You have this enormous status within it, and now have taken on a different well, decade or and a half. I'm just curious, yeah. what well, is the current state well, of your positioning uh, in the well, industry from your yeah, perspective? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I, um, I'll tell you what I really, really like. Please. Okay, so just kind of, you know, getting here today and walking to get my pass at the, at the yes. Calais. Um, you know, I ran into several people um, whom I don't know, you know, women predominantly who said, you know, oh my God, I'm such a fan. You know, you you are really helping us. Yes. You mean so much. You know, um, and 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 those people write to me every day. Actually, I, I get a lot of fan mail, um, emails, LinkedIn messages, Facebook messages, tweets. But do you get so actual on. mail? And do you get any actual? No, not, no. Okay, not much just, mail. I got no, it. I was but, hoping. But 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 for example, Please. you know, um, one piece of advice I give to people, especially women, is. You know, negotiate. Yes. And the amount you ask for is always the highest amount you can say out loud without actually bursting out laughing. Love. Um, once a week, a woman writes to me and says, "Oh my God, Cindy, I did that, and I got it." You know, I, I mean, literally, I get, to, I can email once a week, and women are putting that advice into practice, and they're finding it actually works. You know, I'm encouraging everyone to start their own agency, 
and people are, are writing to me and saying, you know, and, and in fact, what I do every year at the 3% conference is, I have a point in my, in my keynote every year where I celebrate the ventures that have been started in the past year because of what I said. I mean, I ask people to tell me, let me know, because I'll promote the hell out of you from the stage. I ask people to give them business, follow them, because I want to encourage that. And that is what I love about the impact I'm having in the industry. What things, as you're driving and showering and flying and walking, are you now thinking about for the next one, two, three decades? What are some of the early seeds of, you know what? or I might, what's got momentum in your internal workings that may or may not manifest over the next two well, or three decades? Uh, well, um, th- uh, that's very simple, Gary, because quite frankly, you know, in amongst all of this, my primary focus is keeping my startup Make Love Not Porn alive and growing and scaling it. Good for you. And so all I'm focused on is generating more revenue, finding investors, which are very hard to do for a sex tech startup. That makes you sense know, to me. I live my own philosophies. You know, I, I create a startup designed to change the world through sex, to make life better for all of us in a really dramatic way and that is my primary focus. Let, let's give it a few minutes then because I want to mm. give it more exposure. Okay. Good. Why are we not comfortable talking about sex from your perception? Okay. And where in the world, because I'm, you know, US mm. is real, but like, you know, is there anywhere where you're, like, is there yeah. any place to point to as a country or a culture um, where it's a little more healthy? Um, no, Make Love and Porn is a global platform and yep. this issue exists all around the world. If globally. I asked you where, yep. whether culturally or regionally or country-wise, where they're the furthest along from one woman's point of view, just, I'm, I'm actually now very yep. curious, is there, is there a, um, do you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say that every single country in the world is equally fucked up about sex. And so that's why, um, he, um, here's, the, uh, here's the overarching goal of what I'm doing, okay? Um, when I say that Make Love Porn's single mission is to make it easy to talk about sex, because we don't currently, people don't get how massively, profoundly beneficial that would be. I design Make Love Porn around, around my own beliefs and philosophies. I've said one of those is, everything in life starts with you and your values. So, I regularly ask people this question. What are your sexual values? And no one can ever answer me because we're not taught to think like that. 100%. Our parents bring us up to have good manners, work ethic, sense of responsibility, accountability. Nobody ever brings us up to behave well in bed. 100%. But they should because they're values like empathy, sensitivity, generosity, kindness, honesty are as important as they are in every other area of our lives where we're actively taught to exercise those values. And that is why what we're doing at Make Love Porn could not be more timely because the era of Me Too has surfaced a huge dialogue about consent. Everyone's talking about consent. Everybody's writing about consent. Lots of thoughtful, nuanced think pieces about consent out there. Here's the problem. Nobody knows what consent actually looks like in bed. The only way you educate people on what is great consensual communicative sex, good sexual values and good sexual behavior, is by watching people actually having that kind of sex. Love it. And Make Love Porn is the only place on the internet you can do that. Every one of our videos is an object lesson in consent, communication, good sexual values and good sexual behavior. We are literally education through demonstration. I love that. And ha- what a, uh, how, uh, does it skew female? Um, no. 50-50? Um, equal 50-50. No, I mean yeah. your users. Yeah. Um, no, 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 50 I'm sure it's produced that way, just yeah. knowing about yeah. you. I'm just trying no. to think about no. you know, no. the lack of courageousness no. for men on this subject. Yeah. I'm wondering if they're no. skewing a little slower. Um, no, to, um, no, 50-50, and in fact, if anything, we probably get more fan emails from men Makes than from women. You know, and also, by the way, we've created a completely safe and trustworthy social sex video sharing platform. An indication of how safe our members feel is that 
when straight couples share social sex videos, it's usually the woman who is the primary mover. She's decided she wants to do this and persuaded the man to. I love it. What have we not talked about in our last couple of minutes here? Anything that you want to touch on? I think we've pretty much covered the state of the world, haven't we? <laughs> we figured it all out. Cindy, I admire you quite a bit. Thank we you so we much, haven't had the luxury Gary. of jamming too I'm, much. I'm delighted yet. to have had this first conversation. Me with too. You. I, I'm just. Uh, I think you're awfully important. I really, I really genuinely mean that. I think that it takes a lot of courage to speak truth, or at least one's truth. It's not, you know, our truths for each other, my truth to me and your truth to you may not be everyone's truth, but people that actually speak their truth, eat their own dog food, um, lie in their bed, I think are very far and few between, and uh, I admire it a lot. Thank you, thank you. I very much appreciate that. Pleasure. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.